What is up, boys and girls? It's your boy, Mr. Know-It-All, Daniel John Schaefer from the K-Fabe Comparisons Podcast, a.k.a. Daniel Daybreak in the Kings of the Ring universe, and you are listening to wrestling's first audio drama, Kings of the Ring. You are listening to the Kings of the Ring Podcast Network. And welcome to the Kings of the Ring. My name is Steve Tatai, the writer-director of your favorite monthly wrestling soap opera, a fictionalized and romanticized retelling of the 1980s wrestling wars, following the rise and fall of the power brokers of the sport with a look into the sex, drugs, and muscles lifestyle of the 80s wrestler and the sacrifices they make for success. A quick reminder for those with friends or family who might enjoy Kings of the Ring, but they just aren't podcast people or they're hearing impaired, or those who just like to have a good book to read, this series is available in novel form on Amazon. The Rise of Cain, Retaliation, and Big Time are all available now. You can link directly from the notes, otherwise it is kingsotr.com slash book, lowercase book. King to the Ring is intended for mature audiences. Today's episode would be rated M.A. for graphic and disgusting sexual dialogue and profanity. Definitely don't play this one in the car with the kids around, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kings of the Ring. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to All-Star Wrestling here at the Superstation WVBS. It was last year on the 4th of July that a small aircraft crashed outside of Greenville, North Carolina. Inside that plane was none other than the WWA World Heavyweight Champion, Diamond Donnie Gold, who miraculously survived. But he did not emerge unscathed. His body was broken in half, paralyzed from the neck down, but through perseverance and indomitable will and the finest doctors in North Carolina, this man can walk again. Ladies and gentlemen, making his first public appearance since WrestleAmerica 85, Will you please join me in welcoming the one and only Diamond Donnie Gold. Donnie steps out before the Atlanta WVBS studio crowd for the first time in almost a year while moving about somewhat normally backstage. As he steps in camera view, he walks slowly with the aid of his cane and stops behind the podium where Jay Delvo stops and salutes Donnie as the proper ass kisser that he is. Thank you, Jay, for that introduction. Uh, Donnie, uh, I want you to know I've been, I've been rooting for you, just as these people have been rooting for you. He gestures to a large, overstuffed canvas mailbag on the podium. These are just some of the cards and letters that have flooded the offices of SCW. Wishing you well, Donnie Gold, and praying for your recovery. Well, it's just incredible. Uh, thank you, Jay. You know, when I was laying in that hospital bed, Unable to move my body, praying to God, thankful I was still alive. All my thoughts were with the chief, Waylon Thorpe, who wasn't lucky as I was to still be breathing. And now here I am, standing on my own two feet, because of the incredible doctors at the Carolinas Medical Center and the grace of God. I have to ask, we see you standing and walking with that cane. Where do you stand on your recovery? Will you ever be able to walk without a cane? Oh, no, 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 no. What the hell's going on here? With Finn no. Huckleberry in the ring waiting for the next match, the Russians charge the ring and attack. Oh, come on, not again. Someone get these... You have to... 
Okay, that, that's enough. That's enough. Come on. Wait. No, no, no. You, you get away from here, you three. Get away. No, no. We're the not doing this. and their mentor, Abdullah Akbar, head towards the podium when they see Diamond Donny Gold beside Jay Delvo. Donny steps back nervously, almost tripping over his cane. Just beat it. Oh, wait your turn. Donny isn't done. As Donny tries to walk off set, he's blocked by the two young Russian muscle men. Guys, guys, no, no, no. Guys, I got no problem with you. I'm not here to start anything. I just wanted to see the people. Then I'll be on my way. Because it's all like... Vladimir snatches Delvo's microphone out of his hand. Not again. Can't you guys wait till my interview he stands in front of Donnie Gold, all six foot three inches of him, looking down at Donnie. You go, when Vladimir say you go. As Donnie tries to back up again, Vladimir kicks his cane, and Donnie falls to the ground. Now, come on. That, that's enough. This man just crashed in an airplane. Get the hell Some out of here. Some of the other office workers and TV people run out onto the set along with three armed police trying to stop anything more from happening. Just get out! You get up, Donny! Donny, go! It is your fault! You not be here! I don't care about your airplane! What I do! Donny looks up from the floor, not showing any fear, but doesn't have room to stand as he slowly gets to a knee with Vladimir and Dmitri looming over him, while police try to stand this in between. Disgusting. Just leave! Fans, well, we have to go and clear these thugs out of here. I'm so sorry, Donny. Kings of the Ring, episode 44, Deals in the Night. Burt Ironside is with Booker Peyton Thomas and announcer Russ Linderman in the All-South offices going over the calendar dates for next month's shows. Like I don't remember the last time I ran Winkle. That was a donkey incident, remember? We ain't going back. Uncle, uncle. Oh, right. And in walks nephew Chris Stanley. Listen, uh, I figured out what to do with Wendell McCoy and Steve Roberts with the new gimmick, you know, the rock and roller What's gimmick. This is about you wanting to be a stripper. Um... No, th that's not what it was. It was why'd you jerk off Dick Wayne in front of the entire locker room? <laughs> you some kind of fruit? No, 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 not even close. That was Dickie's idea, and I never actually did anything. That was what I was I was trying to describe to them. I mean, I was thinking out loud, and any, that's not what happened at all. Like, Gabriel gave me the idea for a pretty boy tag team gimmick. That's what I wanted to talk about. I didn't want to be a stripper. I wanted to do a stripper gimmick. For the tag team. Strippers. Well, yeah, we're trying to appeal to girls, right? And that's a big deal now. Chippendales. The kids, right. Male strippers, Bert. The muscle guys wear the black tights, little bow ties, uh, but no shirt. All the housewives and bridal shower groups go all out for it, whipping their bras off and shit. These bras go crazy. It's over here. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I was thinking we could put Wendell and Steve in the black tights and then give them the little bow ties. You know, same sort of deal. It's an interesting idea. Might work. To get over the Chip and Dale gimmick, uh, we could even change their names to Chip and Dale. Russ Linderman asks. Like the Chipmunks? You mean Alvin and the Chipmunks? All right, uh, Alvin, Simon, Theodore. You want to name them Alvin, Simon, Theodore? So we need a third guy like the Southern Rebels? Uh, no, what, wait, we're getting off the subject here. That's not what I was no, saying. Chip and Dale, the Disney cartoon. I don't want to name anyone after cartoons, got it? That's Julian Kane Empire bullshit. Keep their names. And don't call them Chippendale or anything like that. You push that stripper gimmick too hard, gonna turn off the men. The Wendell and Steve ain't that big, neither. It's just an invitation to get their asses kicked. Them stripping and touching the ladies at ringside. Uh, I think you're right. We should pull that back a bit. Yeah, uh, give them name something more uh, universal about how, how great or, or fabulous they are. The fabulous ones? 
No, uh, I don't like that. The Fabs? The Fab Four. Well, that's Beatles, Bert, and that's too, too many. Right, I, I knew I heard that somewhere. The Fab Two? Peyton gives Russ a look. Are you serious? Fantastic Four, like, like the comic book. We only need two. Fantastic Two. Nah, the Fantastics? Is that even a word? The Fantastic Ones. Fantastic Ones. The Fantastic Ones. Yeah, the Fantastic Ones. Now, we don't want them too pretty, because they ain't as good looking as a rock and roller, so uh, have them keep their beards, keep them a little tough with that, and chest hair. No more baby oiling up and all smooth like a lady. The Fantastic Ones. Yellow. Hey, it's Earl Hudson. Earl Hudson, number one beat reporter at the Dallas Morning News. How the hell are you? Yeah, I want to keep your heads up for a run this, but uh, we're putting up a story on Gabriel and Dennis Wayne. <laughs> Fuck you talking about? The arrest. You gonna keep talking Chinese or what, Earl? You don't know? Oh, boy. Uh, Gabriel Angel and Dennis Wayne were pulled over by the cops in New Mexico with a bag of grass. Gabriel was with Dennis Wayne and they got arrested? At the 8-story Marriott in downtown St. Petersburg, Jesse James gets an early and sits alone at the sparsely populated bar smoking and sipping his whiskey while wearing a Braves cap pulled low, a satin jacket with a skull chewing tobacco logo on the back, and he's spotted by Diamond Donnie Gold. A little early for this, eh, cowboy? Hmm. But not too early for me. Barkeep, give me a greyhound. Come right up. Jeez, Jesse. Thought I was the only loser who'd be here alone at the bar. Hmm. Right? Hello? Yeah, I was thinking of quitting wrestling and joining the Harlem Globetrotters. Sound like a good idea, brother? Mm-hmm. Donnie pats Jesse on the back to wake him as the bartender drops Donnie's drink off, where he's already laid a $50 bill down, not waiting for change. Come on, brother, what's eating you? You're usually right there to put me in my place. Sorry, Donnie. Um, just a lot in my mind. Come on, brother. Spill it. Well, I feel like I'm at a crossroads here in SCW. What? Crossroads? What are you talking about? Oh, no. Did Julian Kane get to you? Is he trying to steal you away? That can't happen. You can't do that. No, Donna, that ain't happening, but, uh, do you think Julian be interested? What the hell is going on, Jesse? You're scaring the shit out of me. Why are you talking like this? I don't know, Donnie. I don't know what to do. What's the problem? I'm so confused. It's Daniel. For the first time since I come up to work for Hawkins, he's forcing me to book a finish that I don't want to do. <laughs> What's the big deal? What is it? He wants me to put Barry Lovelace over for the world title. Barry Lovelace? Are you serious? He said that? What about Vladimir Rakoff? Why? I, I don't get it. I do not know, Donnie. But he let me know in no uncertain terms. That this was an order. Jesus Christ, what does he think? Exactly. I don't know what this means or why I thinks there's the right move for us, but yeesh. Now you know me a long time down at Gold, and this ain't about me refusing to do a job. I, I put plenty of guys over as long as it makes sense. And this don't make no damn sense at all. And I'm really not sure I, I want to be here if this is what SCW is going to be like from now on. Because if it is, it's going to ruin a lot of careers. And SCW going straight down the toilet. They do know what to say, Jesse. And Barry Lovelace? I mean, 
We're trying to be taken seriously here. Expanding into new territories. We march Lovelace up as our world champ in St. Louis. We'll be a laughing stock. And that's just the fans. The balls don't take him seriously neither. He's a joke. Donnie finds himself feeling sorry for Barry with that last comment as he thinks about all that went on between he and Miss Kitty and him turning over a new leaf. <sighs> he knew Jesse. Can't believe him saying this, but what's the harm? Jesse turns and looks at Donnie. Daniel isn't thinking uh, permanent, right? I mean, there have been plenty of guys who have short title reigns. Doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, Crusher put guys over like that. I did it first. I mean, Barry's paid his dues for a lot of years. Plus, having to play that queer gimmick all this time. I mean, he's earned something. Maybe he deserves a shit. Jesse thinks hard, absorbing his words. And honestly, Jesse, the boys will respect you for doing the job. I mean, not to talk out of school, but all the boys see is the booker making himself the champ every night. Jesse nods as he snuffs out his cigarette. Thank you, Donnie. Cool, man. Let's take things up a notch. Barkeep, a hundred kamikaze shots. Jesus Christ almighty. What? Uh, we won't do them all at once. At the Rochester Civic Center in Minnesota, the TV cameras are set up at ringside as the new-to-AMW Texas Outlaws step down from the ring apron after making short work of their opponents. And here are your winners, the Texas Outlaws, Yosemite Smith and Tex Harper. Both men are ugly 300-pounders with snarly beards, wearing black tights and singlets with cowboy-style wrestling boots. Tex looks as mean as a rattlesnake with his medium-length curly brown hair and scarred forehead from all the bloodbaths he's been in over his long career. Yosemite Smith has a giant handlebar mustache with a stubbly beard underneath. His red hair makes him look just like Yosemite Sam from cartoons. An impressive victory by these newcomers over the Olympians, Nelson Gotch and Brad Milkins. If you guys could come over. The Texas Outlaws wrestle all over the world, from the Badlands of Texas to the temples of Japan. And everywhere we go, we win. Because we're the rootinest, tootinest hombres in the land. And now we're here in AMW. Yosemite moves in and stares into the camera. Because everywhere we travel, we keep hearing one name, one team. People talking like they're the toughest tag team in the world. And that's Shark and Buzzsaw, the Apocalypse. We came here for one reason, to dominate the AMW and to face the Apocalypse. And we'll see how bad you are. Because no one can call themselves the baddest until they step in the ring with the Texas Outlaws. You heard it, fans? The Texas Outlaws are here at AMW, locking on a collision course with the Apocalypse. On a parcel of land on the other side of the Ironside Ranch sits the house of Gabriel Angel, who has an unwelcome house guest in the form of Bert Ironside, who's pounding through his living room like a bull in a china shop. Get out here, boy. Gonna whoop your Gabriel stumbles down the stairs. Hey, is that you? Why the fuck didn't you call me? What were you thinking? What are you on about? 
You didn't think I'd find out what happened with you and Dana Wayne? Oh, uh, uh, just give me a second. Let me get some coffee. Getting arrested? I'll have your damn head examined. Gabriel pours himself a cup of Sanka. I'm sorry, Pop. Uh, me and the Rebels, we were at the Bush Palace out in Laredo. Got a little drunk, and Mr. Turn ended up in New Mexico. Drunk nothing. You were high. What'd I tell you about them drugs? You stay off that shit. Hey, it's not my fault Nigel ain't here to bail us out like he usually does. I mean, this ain't a big deal. Forget Nigel. You should know better. All right, lesson learned, Pop. We'll be more careful next time. <laughs> next time. All South could be yours one day. But not when you act like this. You really don't know what you did, did you? Gabriel pauses. What's going on? The Dallas Morning Star is going to run a story on this. And once that hits, who knows what else is going to happen from there. And that asshole Earl Hudson won't budge. After all I did for him, I at least talked him out of running the front page. But, but that's my number one baby face and my number one heel in a car together partying on the highway. Gabriel takes a big sigh and rubs his head. Jesus. Ah, fuck it. Who reads the papers anymore anyway? Everybody does, Gabe. And our fans do. You're exposing the business worse than anyone has before. After all the bullshit of the past year, you knocking out Raphael is going to kill us off. Well, I mean, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. What? Hey, maybe the, the winds of change are upon us. What kind of hippy-dippy horse shit are you laying on me? Julian Kane's growing every day. I mean, can we really stop him? Uh, you got all that money from all south and the oil money. Why not call it a day? I mean, who cares? I'm going to pretend you didn't just say what you just said for knock out all your teeth, boy. Bert jabs his finger at Gabriel and walks Don't off. Don't bother coming to the sportatorium. You're off the show. Now I gotta drop the rebels, too. What? You can't fire me. I'm your son. Kung to Lorang will back Mark after there's messages. Here comes Wrangler. He's one tough customer. He likes life lean and a fit that's clean, yeah. When he says jeans, he means Wrangler. Wrangler's honest styles were born in the West to look their best anywhere. Top to bottom. Here comes Wrangler, and he's one tough customer, and he knows what he likes when he sees it. The world is divided in half. Some can go to the net, some can't. There are good backhands, bad ones. And most important to Bic, some guys have normal skin, while others have more sensitive skin. So Bic makes the Bic orange. It shaves sensitive skin gently and closely. So for normal skin like mine, the original Bic White Shaver. And for sensitive skin, the Bic Orange. Well, by the way, some people love John McEnroe, and some people, eh. And I return to Kings of the Ray. In Calgary, Alberta, Canada, legendary wrestler, promoter, and trainer, Frankie Lovejoy is in the ring with a very special project, Vance Armstrong. This assignment given to him, personally by Julian Kane, is his hope to be the next big thing in wrestling. Vance is locking up with a couple of the local Calgary wrestlers with Frankie on the floor, giving instruction, as once again, Vance swings a punch and cracks him hard in the cheek. Six foot four inch blonde Adonis, discouraged, apologizes, trying to comfort the other wrestler, who stomps away in his fury. 
He turns back to his venerable trainer. Sorry, Frankie. When we whack guys in the movie, I'm about a foot away. Not used to pulling punches like this. I'm a Golden Gloves champion and a martial artist. It's hard for me to turn that off. Oh, that, that's okay. Just, uh, we'll, we'll keep working on it. I will. Just try to aim for the forehead or the side of the neck. Just, you won't do any real damage. Vance nods with humility. Frankie Lovejoy is on the phone with Julian Kane, giving him the report. You, know, you were kidding about his athleticism. This kid is phenomenal. The way he moves in the ring, he's like a horse out there. He's really put together. Uh, excellent physique. But way more agility than anyone with those kind of muscles I've ever seen. Excellent. He picked up on the bumps, uh, hitting them perfectly. Almost anything you show him, he can mimic it. I knew it. Uh, but Julian, uh, he's not quite perfect. Yes, he is. He's having a real hard time uh, understanding it's a work. He's stiffened guys left and right, but like really hurting them. He knocked out Smitty with an elbow, cracked his orbital socket. Ah, good. He's a shooter. He's a shooter, all right. Uh, which does he no good if he can't learn to work. Can he? Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll keep working on it, but uh, I'm running out of guys. It's like he mixes things up in his head and gets like a Vietnam flashback or something and just starts swinging. But I can fix him. Very good, Frankie. Uh, I won't forget this. When will he be ready? Well, uh, when do you need him? Soon. You can even start next show in Calgary. Uh, that way I can be there. Maybe one of my guys can work him. Uh, yeah, sure. When is the next Calgary show? Because I wasn't told any dates for 1986 from Louis or Hendo after the last one. Actually, I didn't get any dates for Canada next month. Well, uh, it's all hands on deck, you see. For what? We're loading up our shows in the Midwest. I'm putting the squeeze on Charlie Gotch. I need to take him out once and for all. Okay, well, fuck Charlie. Miss Kitty is all dolled up as she strides down the hallway of the downtown Marriott in St. Petersburg. She stops at a mirror in the hallway and freshens up her lipstick and looks at herself in her overcoat with disgust. She nervously fumbles her lipstick back into her purse and looks down at her wedding ring. She takes it off and clutches it and stuffs it into her bag and walks off, quashing any second thoughts she may have. Daniel Hawkins opens the door, wearing a red smoking jacket with an ascot. Come in. She's nervous. Tonight's the night. <laughs> Here, I have champagne. It's Dampignon. Special lady calls for special champagne, right? <laughs> she throws it all down and forces a tight-lipped smile. You look so lovely, Miss Kitty. I haven't been able to think about anything since... You made your special offer. Oh, yeah? Kitty, you're so sexy. Ever since I first saw you on TV years ago, I've been masturbating to you. And I still masturbate, fantasizing and picturing you naked, doing things to my wiener. Wow, that's flattering. But a deal's a deal, so let's get started, shall we? He dances around the room in his robe. 
I haven't masturbated all week or had any hookers just to shave all my cake batter for you. Here, have some more champagne. She drinks more and dives into her purse, almost ready to bolt for the door, when she sees her wedding ring inside and remembers why she's here. She reaches behind it and finds a baggie of Quaalude pills. She takes them and washes them down with more Dom Perignon. Come closer, kitty. You're about to make a little boy's sexual fantasies come true. She moves in and drops her overcoat, revealing her body in a negligee in all its glory. Her body is perfect, her golden hair cascading on her perfectly rounded breasts. Oh my god, kitty. You're hotter than any girl I've ever seen in Playboy or Penthouse or Hustler or anywhere. I've never seen a body like that before. Can I touch it? She nods and forces a smile. He moves forward and touches every inch of her body with his fingers in the creepiest way imaginable. He brings her over to the bed and takes off his robe, revealing the strangest looking penis she's ever seen. It's very crooked and bent sideways with weird colorations and an unusual scrotum like he had some kind of accident when he was younger. Let's go to bed, Daniel. She tries to sound seductive. She's very nervous and stressed beyond belief. Jesse James stands above Barry Lovelace in the corner, raining down punch after punch after punch. Kitty closes her eyes and clutches the sheets, just waiting for this to go. No, Kitty, look at me. I want to see your eyes when they come. Look, look. She looks up at Daniel hovering over her, all sweaty and drooling, his ugly face and his weird expressions. Jesse stands on the apron and gets sprayed in the face with hairspray and trips backward to the Barry using the forks. Barry grabs Jesse's hip and schoolboy cradles him and puts both of his feet in the ropes with the referee not seeing a thing. One, two, three! Daniel flops down on top of her, his hairy back all matted and sweat. She pats him. Good job, Daniel. You did. And here is your winner and new world heavyweight champion, beautiful Barry Lovelace. The fans barely register this. They're completely in shock. Daniel rolls over on his back. Oh my god, Kitty. I've never come so hard in my life. Filling you up with all my goo. Your pussy's like silk. I love to put goo inside of your pussy. He lights a cigarette. You want one? Uh, no, I should go. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, we probably wouldn't look right if we came up for breakfast together. Don't want anyone gossiping, thinking we're having an affair, right? <laughs> Be so sorted. She scrambles to pick her things up and throws her coat on. Well, thank you, Kitty. You certainly held up your end of the bargain. Oh, and I'll be jacking off constantly, thinking about tonight and everything we did, and thinking about you. I'll never forget this. <sighs> she nods and goes out the door. She hears a noise from down the hall and runs the opposite way to the stairwell.
In the locker room, Burt Ironside storms in as Peyton Thomas awaits, holding the new Dallas Morning News up with a sympathetic face. Well, Burt, uh, Oracle ain't that bad. Fuck that, it ain't. All right, all right, it's DEFCON 5, I know. Let me know when the Rebels come in. I gotta fire them right away. Shit. Denny and Cooter were both in the car with Gabriel, but they all gotta go. Even though poor Dickett wasn't even there. Chris enters as he overhears. You know, Uncle, I think this might blow over. Um, maybe if he just killed off the feud. Maybe let him sit out for a bit. People might forget over time. Yeah, like in 30 years. It's gonna kill me. I gotta fire the rebels. Fans can't even see him in the parking lot. They need to go. <laughs> no. Something funny about the end of All South Wrestling. No, no, no. Um, I'm sorry. I just had a, a funny thought in my head. Yeah. What? Well, maybe we can just say they kidnapped Gabriel. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's all drugged up. Maybe they, you know, knocked him out, threw him in the back of the car like an episode of Rockford Files or something. And they were going to drive him off in the woods and dump his body in the swamp. <laughs> I'm sorry, Uncle. I shouldn't joke like that. It is bad. That's it. Hmm? Come again? They kidnapped him. No, no, I was joking. No. No way, guys. Real no. issues make money, right? Gabriel was with Dana Wayne and Cooter. And they had a bunch of drugs, and Gabriel was high too, so the story checks out. Yeah. I mean, it definitely was both rebels, right? Not just Denny. You know, we'd go on TV. Say Gabriel was at the bar, all drunk, it was a good old boy like Gabriel might do, having a, having a few barley pops. The rebels found him, passed out, and kidnapped him. Figured they'd get revenge on him. Uh, no, this is a horrible idea. This is just a rib, right, Peyton? I like it. It's good. No, 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 this is not good. No one's going to believe this. You're slate, Chris. They better believe it. Because it's your idea. No, no, not my idea. Don't do it. Shit, me in my big fucking mouth. Jason Razor, a.k.a. Dmitry Rykoff, loads up quarters into the cigarette vending machine and pulls the lever to get his cools except nothing comes out. Oh, come on. He shakes it and nothing. God damn it. He steps out of the elevator and sees another cigarette vending machine. He walks over and puts his coin in and hears the cigarette pack drop. When he looks underneath, he doesn't see it. What the fuck? Oh, for cry. He gets on his knees and sticks his arm inside trying to reach his cigarettes. As he can feel the edge of the pack with his fingertip, he sees one of the room doors open, and he sees Miss Kitty burst out of her room and run to the opposite end to the stairwell. Isn't that Daniel Hawkins' room? Whoa, what a crazy cliffhanger ending, as you are no doubt asking yourself the question of all questions that wasn't resolved with this ending. Did Dimitri get his pack of cigarettes? If you heard Bert's entire conversation with the Dallas newspaper, then you're listening to the extended edition of King to the Ring, available exclusively on Patreon. If you did not hear this scene, you're listening to the Worldwide Theatrical Edition, and we invite you to become a patron, where you'll hear the extended version of Season 5 and the entire back catalog of the series. Check out patreon.com slash kingsotr and how that works. Uh, and if you sign up, you'll also hear new episodes on the 15th of every month, instead of the first, like everyone else. 
You can also give your feedback to us directly on your favorite scenes, which help shape the show. And you can even be an actual character in the Kingsverse. Thor's new agent Daniel Daybreak, for example, is named after a patron. Many characters in Kings of the Ring are indeed named after patrons, and that means you're in the novels too. And thanks to all of our guest voices, including the newest for Season 5, Lanny Poffo, in one of his last of many contributions to the pro wrestling genre, and to our growing number of patrons and fans worldwide. Thank you. <laughs>